0: It's time now for super psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years.
1: Good evening and welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time, that's 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmarakarpel.com. And today is Sunday, March the 26th, 2023, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell and we are back live from beautiful Austin, Texas where the weather is gorgeous, and we have another great program in store for you today. Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here with us to make the show run smoothly, as usual, of course. And in a little while after the break, we'll be joined once again by family sociologist, teen and parent communication coach, who is often referred to as the teen and parent relationship whisperer, and best-selling author of How to Raise Respectful Parents, Better Communication Tips for Teen and Parent Relationships, Laurel Lyles Regan. This time, Laura is back to talk about grandparenting. And then later in the program, I'll continue to discuss living with passion and caregiving in the new normal. And after the show, you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight along with all of the website links that we discussed on the show this evening. And you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to Blog Talk Radio. That's B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden years. And you can also hear it on Apple Podcasts. For information from prior shows and to listen to all of our previous programs dating back the last nine plus years, you can go to drmarikarpel.com. You can check it out on blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years, and you can find them all on Apple. And be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Marikarpel, your golden years, for upcoming programs and upcoming events. This show is produced by Accomplice Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions and sponsored by AmightyGoodTime.com. Wondering what to do after you're 50? How about having a mighty good time? It's free to search, free to post, and much more. Whether it's in person or virtual, anything can be found to fill your day with other people. So be more active and start connecting again. Go to amightygoodtime.com. That's amightygoodtime.com. All right. So we're going to take a very brief break to play our other sponsors' commercials, but it'll be very brief, and we'll be back shortly with family sociologist Laura Lyles-Regan to talk about grandparenting. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
0: Super psychologist Dr. Mara Karpel will be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed services or supplies you never received. There are three easy things you can do to prevent fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and look for any suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or call your local Medicare SHIP program at 1-800-252-9240. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com.
1: And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. maricarpel uh and your golden years on Mar dot com, and on blog dot com. Um and joining us on the phone, we once again is family sociologist and teen and parent communication coach, Laura Laura Lyles Regan. And this time she's here to talk about grandparenting. Welcome back, Laura. Thank you so much, and thanks for this opportunity to share with you and your audience. I'm excited to be here, but this time I'm coming to you from the Smoky Mountains. The Smoky Mountains? What <laughs> yes, it's beautiful. I yeah. actually have dual residency in North Carolina um, near the Cherokee Indian Reservation, and of course, South Texas, as you well know, since we're fellow Texans. Um, but, yeah, it's great to have this opportunity. Very nice. Very nice. Well, thank you for joining us. It's great to have you back. Um, And just as a reminder, um, there's a very, very slight delay when we speak like this, maybe a half a second or a second, and that's just good to keep in mind. Um, Right. So so why don't we start with a little bit about your background um, for listeners who haven't heard you here before? Sure, thank you. Um, I'm a sociologist who's done some work in both the nonprofit world as a nonprofit manager and youth development in various nonprofits, and then also a youth development researcher uh, where I looked at um, what actually teens believed was impactful to them. So we went straight to the source, (laughs) and we asked kids what uh, made the difference. Uh, for them wanting to actually listen to the caring adults in their lives and it was uh, pretty powerful what that response was it came back sort of as a map uh, to connect deeply and you know so oftentimes I hear from parents my kids not listening to me and how do I uh, you know say things in a way that helps them tune in and uh, they've given us the answer literally if we will listen Uh, they've told us that fun is the currency um, and that uh, they enjoy learning new skills or teaching them when we're willing to be students, and then um, help with a problem, and presence in crisis, however they define mm. that crisis. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. And then you went on to start to use that to coach parents in working to create a better Absolutely. relationship with That's- their team. Yes, Dr. Mara, that became my um, the basis for my book and then the basis of the practice was how to share, uh, really learn what I call conscious communication skills. It's not like it's original or new, but um, there is a, a particular way to um, learn these skills and apply them to grow trust and help teens um, want to connect more deeply because they're in that wonderful developmental phase, as you well know, of wanting to define away from parents. But they're in a cultural milieu right now where they need direction. And uh, some of our institutions are not giving the same congruent messaging that they did in the past when you and I were growing up. Um, so they're missing um, messaging from schools, from teachers, from um, mm. Religious organizations that are the same as their parents, and it's a it's a very fascinating juxtaposition and a difficult time to be um, a kid and a teen because there's so many variables facing them. Hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, we can just look at all the things happening in the world all at once, <laughs> and exactly. it's difficult and if as we an adult. Yes. Exactly. If we have difficulty navigating it, then of course they will have, you know, difficulty because they don't have the same social skills that we do. Um and they're mm-hmm. really in great need of deeper relationships with both parents and grandparents. So now you're a grandparent and uh the last time you were on you said you'd be back to talk about <laughs> this part of the journey. <laughs> right. What have you been oh, learning? My <laughs> it's amazing! It's amazing. Um, I have a two and a half year old grandson, and he is just truly the delight of all of our lives. We're so grateful for him, and um, and it's helped me um, play again. I think that's been a wonderful experience. You know, to get on the floor and play and be a kid and see things brand new uh, with mm-hmm. him. And then it's also been quite an experience to um, watch my daughter parent and see her gentleness, which I'm in awe of, uh, her patience Mm -hmm. with him, uh, her ability to hold on to herself in the middle of her parenting (laughs) and take care Uh of herself in the middle of her parenting, which were skills that I learned later in life. Uh, So I have great admiration for that. Um Naturally, there are some things that I would do differently, and I've learned to keep my mouth shut <laughs> uh-huh. and not share those uh those pieces nuggets of wisdom until asked if I'm asked and uh, that's been quite a a journey as well uh to be supportive um, and yet respectful of their boundaries mm-hmm. and you know their ability to experience it all. Um, as they should as parents themselves for the first time. Right. Yeah. Do you find that um, some of the issues that you coach parents relating to their teen children applies to either um, working with your grandson or even more so being, uh, you know, Relating to your daughter, who's the parent of this child. Yes, absolutely. I I can tell you countless times <laughs> when um, I have used the active listening and uh, mirrored back what I'm hearing from her and trusting that she will navigate to her own solutions, which have deeper meaning than, you know, being directed um, And understanding that she's parenting in a time and an era that is very different from the one that I did. I had Mm -hmm. more societal supports than she does. And um, there's a lot of weight on young parents today that um, I don't think I experienced. So Mm I really do use that active listening skill greatly. And there are times when it's, it's my relationship too, and I do get to share my opinion. It's not that I'm silent on that. It's just I'm really selective about when I do so. And um, uh-huh. I'm pretty skilled at using eye messages and feeling language, um, which makes a greater impact. Um, and then because she doesn't have the societal supports that I had, I really want to be an affirming voice for her, you know, and just share a lot of appreciation um, for how, you know, what she's doing. Mhm, mhm. So, so can you give some examples of what you know that style might be of active listening and mirroring back and. Um, that sort of sure. thing, or maybe some of the stressors that that parents of young children are dealing with, sure um, let me let me just kind of think of that sorry about that I that's okay that. Um, yeah, uh, probably a prime example would be when to um he is a- he's two and a half, and he's approaching an age where um others would be. Uh, helpful in his life whether that be play dates or preschool you know socializing with other kids Um, and he's a pandemic baby he was born right at the start of the pandemic and Mm. uh, the blessing of that is that he got his parents you know he got a lot of interaction with his parents and that was really Mm -hmm. powerful and helpful to his development Uh, the curse of that is you know, he's uh, he's an only child and doesn't have a lot of interaction with kids his age. So we've done a little bit of the playground stuff. We've, she's done some play dates with him. And I would love, you know, to see that increase, but she's also enjoying um, this time alone with him as a, as a stay-at-home mom, and she's also doing online schooling. And um, and so I, I I have been able to say, I see you really enjoying that, uh, that one-on-one time with him. Uh, you know, uh, tell me more about the play dates and how that's working for you. So there's open-ended questions in it. Um, you know, without pressuring the opinion. Um, and then when he, you know, um, gets overwhelmed with other kids because he hasn't been uh, raised around other kids, um I can observe that and say it looks like he's a little overwhelmed, you know, good for you for getting him out there. Um, you know, when do you think is the next opportunity to connect with other, you know, children mm-hmm. his age um, so that it it um, is supportive of what she's doing um, and understanding that his development is progressing at a rate that might be different than Um, other kids not that he's behind but just that he hasn't had that same exposure and um, Mm -hmm. it's not anything that I'm powerfully concerned about but I definitely use those active listening skills open ended questions and eye messaging um, to share with her um, how to support his development Mm -hmm. does that Mm -hmm. make sense? yeah yeah I mean you're concerned that he's you know not around other kids but you're trying to be open to her her feelings about it, and understanding that you don't necessarily know all the answers either, right? Right, right. Yeah. Because none of us have, you know, we, there's no longitudinal studies on kids coming out of the pandemic. We're, we're all experiencing right. this at the same time. <laughs> right, right. What what you know? I, I'm curious. Um, I don't. I never raised a child myself, so. Um, I was lucky enough to have grandchildren but not my own children. So because I was, you know I I I inherited grandchildren. So I didn't so what is the um common age for children to start interacting with other children? Oh, um really it can be any time, right? Because there's some infants that have older siblings. So right it really it you know it really is um across the board quote unquote normal at any time but there is a side by side play period which is sort of where he's at right now where you're not necessarily throwing the ball back to somebody else but you so- saddle up next to someone and play around them um mm-hmm. and then my understanding is 3 to five, 3 and 4 you're playing with kids, and then five, of course, was when kindergarten starts. So, um, yeah, he's he's right on developmentally. I think I'm just probably a little more concerned because of the pandemic and the isolation early. Um, right. You know, I want him to have every opportunity because I'm a doting nana. <laughs> right. right. One yeah, of the things, Dr., I'm sorry, go ahead, no go, no, go on one of the things dr. Mara, I'm hearing from um some grandparents is that it's it's tough to interact with teenagers um that they're it's it's easier of course to uh, play with grandkids and love on grandkids and uh, enjoy them, but it's a little harder when. The teens get on the screens, and they're not um, as mm-hmm. verbal as they were. Um, yes. And, <laughs> yes. That and, and I very think true. That sometimes grandparents feel a little sense of rejection. Hey, wait a minute, you know, I came over or I traveled this way to see you, and um, it, it's not the same um Way that we're used to interacting with them, and so I think knowing a little bit about the developmental phases as you um, just suggested you know is is really helpful to us not taking personally um, you know what what they're going through, and maybe their perceived distance or uh perceived lack of interaction with us
2: mhm
1: mhm have you? you know have you seen that um getting younger and younger so like i've seen with kids like nine nine years old who are stuck to their screen right yeah i sure have and you know talk about longitudinal studies i think we're going to see uh, increasing issues with that um because of what it does to brain chemistry um and I remember the old days when I used to love to spend summers with my grandmother and how much slower her house was and how conversational she was with my aunts. And we would shell peas and shuck corn. And I truly learned the art of conversation from these women, um, mm-hmm. how they, you know, would talk about the people in the community. they talk about politics. they talk about religion, you know, um, very well-versed socially and And it was a real gift to be around them. And this generation doesn't have that same opportunity, you know, for conversation. And um, I I think that's one way that grandparents can be really, really helpful to, okay, they're on their screen, but you go sit down beside them and you ask questions about the game that they're playing. Um, Enter their world. Tell me about this Mm -hmm. character. Asking those open-ended questions in fact I have a list of open-ended questions on my website called conversation starters for tweens and teens and it's all about having that kind of almost forcing but through open-ended questions um, the need to answer and interact without just having a yes no or fine as an answer (laughs) you know right uh, sort of forcing that elaboration have you found that asking them to be your tech your your technology uh your IT person helps? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a great bridge um because we become the students, right? And they become the skilled teachers because they're certainly the digital inter- uh generation. So absolutely being willing to be vulnerable and be the student is a powerful way to kick off and Yeah, because we have found that when we're not able to figure something out on a you know on a computer or an app or any kind of device, we just ask them can you can you figure this out <laughs> right It's pretty amazing <laughs> um, all right, yeah, I mean, I found that asking questions about um, there's so much in that in that world, that virtual world that I totally don't understand. So asking questions about it and it's like learning about a new world. And I have found that it does open up conversation. Um, Otherwise you get a lot of yes, no, uh, yeah. (laughs) But once you start doing that, it really does lead to a discussion. Exactly. And then some basic invitations, you know, um, come help me take the card to get gas and teaching them a skill, right? Going back to what that research said about um, teaching skills, solving problems, and presence in crisis, that if we use the everyday experiences to as a point of relationship, you know, kids don't know how to write checks because everything's with a debit card (laughs) Uh, Uh it can start as young as as you know seven and eight years old walk in the um, the store with me and pay here's the cash and did you count your change you know Um, just life skills that kids truly miss because of uh, probably in part i would say the attachment to the digital world um, how do you put gas in a car? Um, you know, just basic, help me, let's do a recipe together. Here's the, you know, measuring cups and, and um, here's the ingredients. And let's, let's you know, continue those invitations and those opportunities to connect uh, side by side and not assume mm-hmm. that they know how to connect, but us to be willing to be the leaders in that. Um, are great Mm -hmm. ways to stay connected through the tweens and teens years. Okay. All right. I think those questions will be very helpful to me. (laughs) Not like, you know, as I said, not having raised my own kids, but now, you know, the grandchildren are reaching that stage of tweens and teens the conversation doesn't roll as smoothly as it used to when they were little. Right, right. And I think sometimes that that causes us a sense of sadness or we take it as a personal rejection when it's really developmentally probably appropriate because they're beginning to form their own identities. And yet they need us more now than ever because they don't have the same support that you and I grew up with, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and and grandparents can be this amazing force for unconditional love and your memory making right now. It really is about for us, um, a sense of legacy, you know, the importance that we put on relating to these amazing beings that were placed in our lives. Right. Right. So, you know, you, you mentioned before about some of the, the stressor the stressors that parents are dealing with now, and grandparents and and how the children have different pressures um can you can you name some I can think of some myself, but I bet there are things that I don't even know that are going on um sure I think um It can be as simple as the fact that they don't spend time in nature the way that um, I grew up. I grew up, you know, playing outside more. Um, I grew Mm -hmm. up with a bicycle gang, (laughs) you know, uh, roller skates and uh, playing with dogs outside and walking dogs and singing songs. And and it was all about... um, an outside interaction today they call that free range kids because we can play around (laughs) the neighborhood safely you know uh, freely and because Uh kids don't have the downtime they have pretty prescriptive lives uh, these days they're on um, you know they're, they're at school for eight hours and then they come home and they may get a snack and then it's either homework or screens and there's just not a lot of um, time to simply be and mm-hmm. uh, process the day uh, and then not the outside uh, get back to nature kind of remembering that we're human beings um, right And I think that that really is uh, the overscheduled child is a phenomenon that is we're going to find mm-hmm. is really detrimental um, mm-hmm. And grandparenting can be an amazing intervention for that because we're a little bit slower <laughs> as we age. And, um, you know, come take a walk with me. Let's go take the dog for a walk and ask what they notice. And um, it may seem uh, boring to them at first because they're used to that fast pace of interaction digitally, but mm-hmm. it is so necessary to counterbalance that. Um, you know, biochemically, but socially as well. Um, those are two major influences I can think of. is mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the natural peace and then the overscheduling. scheduling um, The fact that, um, you know, I remember getting to watch the news with my family. We had the three channels back in the day. I remember <laughs> the parents talking about politics in front of me um Mm -hmm. you know and these days it's all an independent consumption of um, current events and kids don't get that conversation um you know when i was sharing earlier i got to hear my grandmother and her sisters talking and how influential Mm -hmm. that was to me about um, the art of conversation how attractive that had become you know kids need to hear that they need to hear adults talk about real-world issues, um, mm-hmm. and, and they're missing that, I think. Those are just some that I'm off the top yeah. of my head that I think were. Yeah, no, those are really good points. I remember when I grew up, we in the dinner table, that was the time that, that we talked about what was going on in the news, and right. everybody had their own opinion and would really, in, debating was not seen as a negative thing, as long as we didn't right. Say anything hurtful to each other. Um, there was a lot of debating at dinner. <laughs> right, Which, exactly. Yeah, I think is healthy. I think that's healthy. Absolutely. I, um, and you brought up and, the point of the family meal, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and having family meals as extended family members. You know, I think grandparents can be a driver for that process as well. Um, right. If, if you're fortunate to live near your grandchildren, to invite to a weekly family dinner would be an amazing way to um, mm-hmm. slow life down, be conversational, uh, check in on their well-being, um, all of those, and use those open-ended questions, you know. Uh, it's a great opportunity. Right. And then, you know, the you're definitely – creating memories because I remember my dinners with my grandmother, you know, how, you know, those were really special when my family went to her house for dinner. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And invite the grandkids over early, you know, so that they can help cook and um, be a part of the process. All of that's memory-making opportunity. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, and you've talked about the fast pace that they pick up from the screens. I think that that, that could be another whole show because it, you you got me thinking about um, one time my parents were staying in Florida for the winter, and I went to visit them, but first I went to Disney. Oh, okay. And when I you know, I didn't go to I was older, so I didn't go to like the the rides, I didn't go to the that part of Disney, but I was at downtown Disney and every night was like mm-hmm. New Year's Eve. Right? I think they that's what they do. They they have a fireworks display and it's everything's really fast and really mm-hmm. like all of your senses. And right. then I got to my parents' place where they had retired to Florida, and where I normally would enjoy my time with them, I felt really fidgety for the first two days, really bored, and um, i I didn't know what to do with myself.
2: Mhm.
1: And I was already an adult, and I really, I looked back at that afterwards, and I thought how weird it was that it was because I had been to this overstimulating place. Prior to going to a more relaxed place where I normally enjoy the relaxation and um, and as an adult if it's doing that to me what is that doing that thing what is it doing to kids right yeah I, I think we're going to have some serious conversations and consequences you know in the research about all of that
2: mm-hmm mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and, and they, there's also a detox process, you know, I envision um, when my grandson's old enough to spend summers with me, you know, that we would have some extended weeks together and all the, you know, fishing and hikes and things that I would love to do with him, um, there is a detox to it, you know, that they're overstimulated and they need to experience this counterbalance to a slower pace, but, um I think that fidgetiness that you're describing is is part of coming down from those dopamine hits of the screens. Yeah, yeah. They're getting it all the time. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's interesting. So, so Laura, but I think if, the good if, news is mm-hmm, that yeah. grandparents can be really powerful in um, in helping kids balance. Mhm, okay, so so Laura, um, if people are interested in in learning more about you and finding out about your coaching, in um, finding those questions, finding your book, how could they do that? Just go to laura L. and remember the middle initial L and that Reagan is spelled r e a g a n okay. LauraLReagan.com, and I'll be posting mm-hmm. that on my website post about this program. Um, and you said that you have those conversation starters right there on your website? They are on the second page of the website, so it's, it's where my service listings are. So um, mm-hmm. you can do LauraLReagan.com slash services, and it'll pop up right away as a as a pop-up to download. It's a list of 20 open-ended questions. Okay. Great. I'll be looking at those. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for for coming back on the program, and let's stay in touch. I'd love to hear more as your journey in grandparenting continues. <laughs> Thank <laughs> okay. you. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. And enjoy the Smoky Mountains. I promise. Okay. All right. Well, you have a good night, okay? Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. We're going to take a brief break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
0: Dr. Mera's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Merrick Carpell and your golden years, live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. Please visit us on the web at www.drmerrickharpell.com.
1: All right, and we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Merrick Harpel. And your golden years on drmaricorphealth.com and on blogtalkradio.com, and that was very interesting. I, I when we when Laura talked about being on the program, I hadn't really thought about you know how to apply some of the things that she has spoken about in the past. But now I can see how personally I can use some of those skills, especially those conversation starters. So I again, I'm going to be posting her website on uh, the website link on my post about this show on my website. So take a look later tonight at drmaricharpel.com. All right. So in the past few weeks, I've been talking about um, passion during this new normal, um, coming out of COVID and having ongoing issues that are brought up by spikes in COVID, and um, how we can still navigate the path of passion, and and the idea that passion isn't always about doing what. Fun and what we um, in you know have always dreamed of doing, which it might be, it really might be uh, for you. But at times we're called to do things, and and we can find a way to turn that into passion. That we, you know, during the the most intense times of COVID. A lot of people had trouble finding their passion, finding their meaning and purpose, or having to give up on the path that they were on or at least um, stop for a while. And they felt like they didn't have any passion. But then there were people who found new passions by helping other people during their time of need. And, you know, passion really... I've developed that mean the meaning of it um, as I've been discussing this over the years. Um, that passion really has isn't just about having fun, and, which fun is very important. And I don't, I don't, um, I have nothing against fun, <laughs> but passion is also about using what gifts you have to bring more light into the world. And when you're called to do something, to help someone, to help people in need, sometimes that means um, being a caregiver, um, having to help somebody who really needs a lot of help and turning that into passion. Having compassion. Compassion. And using your compassion to help another or help um, a whole group of other people, and when we feel that when we're when we're helping another person or we're helping groups of other our path takes on a whole new level of purpose, meaning, and peacefulness, and that is passion when you can fill the the light the fill the world with your light then you are creating a path of passion for yourself Um, and so I want to talk about that in terms of being a caregiver for an elderly person who might be in a in a nursing facility in a long-term care facility because that is the path that I'm on right now um, following my passion of doing the work, my life work as a psychologist, having this radio show, writing, and also at the same time being a long-distance caregiver for my mom who is in nursing community in uh, in a facility that's like 2,000 miles away from me. But we speak every day, we Zoom every day, and... Um, to be honest with you, there, even though she's in one of the nicest nursing facilities that I have ever seen, having worked in many nursing facilities myself, <clears throat> she, there is a challenge that I need, in which I need to advocate for her at least once a week, sometimes multiple times a week, and sometimes multiple times a day. And I have been, you know, it can burn you out. It can really burn you out when you are on your own doing this. But I've been trying to turn this into something that I can be passionate about, not just um, because I really care about my mother and I want her to have the best quality of life, but also that I can... I can connect with other family members of other residents in the nursing facility. I can connect with other family members who have uh, loved ones in nursing facilities in the same state as my mom, throughout the state, and I can connect with other family members who have loved ones in nursing facilities around the entire nation. So I have joined a statewide family council that in her state where she is located right now, which is Connecticut, I have joined a national family council that's very new and they're trying to move into regions throughout the country and also have an impact on laws affecting older people. And I've been connected with several advocacy groups that are not just about improving the quality of life for my mom, but also about improving the quality of life for all nursing home residents and thinking about our future. Um, Many of us who are listening to this radio program right now and myself, many of us could end up in that same situation that we're in a nursing home and we are relying on other people to provide our care and so we would really like to create a higher quality of life for our nursing home residents that will affect us will affect our friends our siblings our children um, Children and grandchildren are the ones that are going to have to do the job that I'm doing right now of advocating for my mom. So wouldn't it be nice if we left a legacy for them where they didn't have to constantly have fires to put out, that that nursing homes already have a better quality of life for the residents So in doing this, I have been, and I've mentioned this before, I've been working at creating a virtual family council in the uh, nursing home where my mom lives. Um, There was a family council there before. I've worked in many nursing facilities that have had family councils, and I have found them to be extremely um, powerful in helping families and their loved ones um, by providing support for families and improving the quality of life and having an impact on the quality of life for their loved ones. But many stopped during COVID because obviously people could not meet in the nursing facilities um, or anywhere else during that time, and they have not restarted. Um, some have gone to virtual, and that what I've been working at putting together, because not only is a virtual family council beneficial for um, preventing the spread of a, of a virus, but it's also really beneficial for people like myself that live 2,000 miles away from my mom. Um, and there are a lot of uh, people out of town, as well as family members who work during the day and then come home and they have responsibilities at home and are not likely to get back in the car and drive over to the nursing facility to, um, to have a meeting. So <clears throat> it's been a journey because uh, there are a lot of lessons that I'm learning. So I will, um, from week to week, and in my blog, I also will write about, um, I'll talk about what I'm learning during this time and, and how to best create a family council, how to best turn this into a positive experience um, rather than feeling stressed out and um, or at least minimizing the amount of stress. So... Uh-huh. There are some national organizations that are really um, beneficial and that I recommend. One of them is the National Consumer Voice for Quality Long-Term Care, and that is a, as I said, it's a national organization that is very politically involved in helping to create a Higher quality of care for long term care um, residents, and hold on a second. I want to try to and many of the states around the country have a statewide family council. There's also a moving forward the uh, organization called Moving Forward Nursing Home Quality Coalition that is beneficial for improving uh, quality of life. And they have a lot of um, Zoom webinars with professionals in various fields related to uh, nursing homes. And um, I've learned a lot so far. So those are some areas where you might wanna check it out if you have a family member living in a nursing home and you'd like more support. Um some of the reasons to start a family council in your loved ones' community or to join a family council that is already there um, consists of the fact that it can be a very supportive network for family members and also for other loved ones and residents. So family councils are not just for the family members, but some people have very close friends who are their family. And so and they are welcome to join the family council as well. And it can be very supportive because you're meeting other family members of other residents and you're you have something in common with each other and you can really understand each other and sup- listen to each other, support each other and come up with Solutions to problems that you might all have in common, and it's a venue for family members and loved ones to share and discuss concerns without without reservation. Um, because at the family council meetings, there are not any staff members or administration there unless they have been specifically involved, I mean, invited to discuss a particular topic of concern from the the family members. So the family group is a place to vent and talk about issues that they might be upset about or issues that they're worried about, concerned about, without fear of retribution. Also to learn from each each other about support services. Um, that some family members might know about, that others don't, and to problem-solve together. So family council can discuss a particular issue that's happening. Um, maybe there's a particular issue related to caregivers, uh, the, the aides, the CNAs in the facility, or um, the, the therapy that residents are getting, or the food. And the family members can then come up with a way to problem solve some ideas that might be beneficial that they can then bring to the head of that department or to the administrator and not just complain, but actually say, hey, you know, we have these concerns and we have some ideas about what you might be able to do about it. Is that reasonable? I think when you approach it in that positive way of having uh, a solution or at least being open to solutions, then it doesn't just become a place of complaint, but it actually can be a way to to work together with the nursing home. And um, and then, when a an administrator or a department head or a uh, staff liaison assigned by the nursing home comes to the meeting, um, the family members have a way to provide input on the nursing home decisions and the action um, that the nursing home will take on the concerns that they have. And it won't be a negative, just complaining. Meeting it'll be a way of having input and helping to come up with solutions. And in that way, it can help build a trusting relationship with the family and the nursing home staff, that you're working together, that you all have the goal of working together to create the, a better quality of life for your loved one. Now, I mentioned last week that I had just learned this that there's actually a federal law called the 1987 Nursing Home Reform Act. And part of that law guarantees that family members of long-term care nursing homes, long-term care facilities are nursing homes, that the family members of these facilities, um, of the residents there, have several important rights that are meant to enhance the loved one's quality of life in the nursing home, the resident's quality of life, and to improve service and conditions in nursing homes throughout the facility. Um, One of the essential rights that this law guarantees is the right to form and hold regular and private meetings of an organized group called a family council. So family councils are protected by the law. They're not just, something that you ask, can we have this? And the administrator might say, no, we don't want a family council because they're just a complaint group. No, they're, they are actually protected by the law. The administration has to allow family councils to meet. Now, it's up to the family council whether or not it, the, the council is beneficial or is just a a complaint group that doesn't, the complaints don't really go anywhere. And that is really up to the family council to create a positive environment. Um, But facilities that are certified by Medicare and Medicaid must abide by this law. And um, they must provide a meeting space or a virtual platform for, for family council They must be cooperative with the activities of the family council and they must respond to the concerns that are brought up by the council. And the council meetings are member run, although the facility must appoint a facility liaison or a staff advisor, Um, but staff and administrators only have access to the meeting, as I mentioned, when they have been given a request attend the meeting. And the facility must listen to the views and act upon any grievances and recommendations made by the residents and families concerning policy and operational decisions that affect resident care and the life in the facility. So there's no guarantee that the facility will do what the families want. I mean, not everything is feasible, but they have to take the advice or the complaints of the families into account and somehow respond to them, come up with some way of responding to them, either problem solving, um, coming up with some change in policy, or, or even having the discussion that, this is feasible right now, and this is why. But they have to respond. And this brings me back to passion, because when you're doing this, when you're creating um, something that is not just yourself and your loved one, but you're doing something that expands to other residents in the facility who may not have a family member who is involved, these decisions affect everyone, and improving their quality of life, it can really become a passion. Um, There are family council members in the statewide family council that I'm a part of whose family member is no longer living, but they are passionate about helping. They have become passionate through their own experience with their family member. Um, They've become passionate about helping residents of long-term care facilities to have a better quality of life so i'll continue this discussion and let you know how it goes in terms of creating this family council because i'm in the creation stage and any tips that i can think of um, lessons that i learn i'll i'll keep you apprised so On that note, I am going to let you know what's happening next week, and it's related to this discussion. Next week, Sunday, April 2nd, we'll be back with another live program, and we'll be joined by keynote speaker Irving Stackpole to talk about long-term care, especially skilled nursing facilities, nursing homes, and how they are the scene of the collision of money, politics, and denial. So he's going to talk about the money side of this and how this affects um, the quality of life in long-term care facilities, the shortage of staff, all of those issues, and some solutions to create a better quality of life in spite of all of these money issues that are related to politics. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from tonight's program, get the website links that were discussed, Um, link to the podcast, and those website links will be posted later tonight. So you can go to my website, drmaricarpell.com and it will be there later tonight. And you can also hear this evening's program in as soon as five minutes from now, by going directly to blog talk Radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash Your Golden Years. And you can also hear this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years, to find out upcoming events and upcoming shows. This show was produced by Accomplice Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions and sponsored by com. Thank you to my guest, Laura Lyles-Regan, and thank you to Art. Thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe.
2: time when you're all alone.
0: Comes a time got song. Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpel is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpel, her sponsors, nor this station, assumes responsibility for the misuse of any information on this program.